0: This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Father, we ask that you would pour out your Holy Spirit, that we may encounter you in word and sacrament and go on our way rejoicing. For your name's sake. Amen. Well, lovely to see you all today in the nave. Very happy to be in the nave because I put on some of my wife's expensive hair curling cream, uh, sort of conditioner in the shower. And the, um, the tent, a lot of people, lots of fun, but the, the, hair, the, the wind was beginning to take its toll. Anyway, that's not what this sermon is about. So let me start engaging us with two questions. Firstly, this what are you most proud of? What are you most proud of? If I knew it and shared it, what would make you sit up and smile and your eyes shine? Maybe it's something you've done or someone you know or something that you own. When I was an undergrad at Oxford, I took the princess of Japan out for coffee. Pretty proud of that. Second question, what are you most proud Ashamed of. If I knew that and shared it, you would hide, you would run, you would never look these people in the eye again. It's humiliated. So I'm out for coffee with the Princess of Japan and I realize I left my wallet at home. I mean, that's not the most humiliating thing in the last 40 years, but that would do for this sermon. But here's the point pride and humiliation honor. And shame. We all have both. It's part of being human. And this morning we're going to focus on one character who had both honor and shame, but who met God through word and sacrament and went on his way rejoicing. So we will walk through Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 40. Thanks for reading, Katie. Good job. And we're going to do it in five scenes. Scene one we meet Philip, the servant of word and sacrament. In scene two, we meet our Ethiopian eunuch, the top finance guy in the queen's court. In scene three, Philip shares the word with the eunuch. In scene four, Philip baptizes the eunuch. Baptism, that's the sacrament I'm talking about. And then scene five, the eunuch goes on his way rejoicing. It's a great story. It's a beautiful encounter. But what do we need to see and do today that we might similarly encounter God and go on our way rejoicing? That's the goal. Scene one, introducing Philip, servant of word and sacrament. So Philip appears in the book of Acts, Luke's Luke's book of Acts, a few times, first in Acts 6, where he is one whose trustworthy servant character is approved by the apostles, and he's made A deacon. Mm -hmm. So he's put in charge of caring for the poor in Jerusalem. Imagine worn hands and caring eyes. He's a deacon in Jerusalem. But then persecution in Jerusalem drives Deacon Philip and many other Christians from their homes. He becomes a refugee. But a refugee who was preaching and healing and performing miracles in Samaria. Imagine healing hands and hopeful eyes. And near the end of the book of Acts, we learn that he settled down, married and had four daughters, all prophetesses. I like to think the first three were Lucy, Eva and Rua. But anyway, I'm sure his eyes shone with pride. But what do we learn about Philip Here. In our text, in this part of chapter eight, we learn that the Lord speaks to him and he has a lot of get up and go. He's a get up and goer. he's a go getter. Now I did my American accent outside in the tent and Millard told me never to do that again. And I was almost suggested I might get up and go myself, but I'm still here. So here we go, verse 26. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, get up and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. So he got up and went. First scene, the door closes on Philip heading out, the go-getter for God, who got up and went. And then the uh, the camera cuts to a chariot. Scene two. And this chariot is rumbling along a desert road. Who's inside? A eunuch in charge of the entire treasury of Ethiopia, a eunuch. We assume he had undergone a procedure which ensured he could not father children. But one outcome of this procedure meant he had access to the top jobs in the royal court. Why? In royal courts, power is held and passed by one generation to another in one family. So questions of pregnancy and paternity are political. You can imagine the scene drama sweeps through the royal court. The queen is pregnant. Well, you know, it's not me, says the secretary of state for the treasury. So I'll get back to my spreadsheets. By being a eunuch, our friend in the chariot was able to access the very top jobs at court. He was trustworthy and he was useful. And thus, he could afford a long pilgrimage to Jerusalem. On a day like this, imagine how does it feel on the first day of a long vacation when everything is spread out before you. So much to look forward to. And this guy traveled in style. You can imagine his chariot gliding through the streets, turning heads. And there must have been moments of pride, mingling with an international crowd in Jerusalem. So what do you do? Ah, I'm just a finance guy. I'm the finance guy for the queen, you know? You can valet park the chariot. Family? Mm. It's not really an option in my line of work. Moments of pride and possibly a moment of humiliation. For according to Deuteronomy chapter 23 verse one, no man in his condition was allowed to enter the assembly of the Lord. Imagine the shock and shame of one who had traveled so far of one who always expected doors to open before him to find one that was closed. Humiliated left on the outside, he returns to the plush inside of his chariot. Now, verse 27, there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the Candace, queen of the Ethiopians in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home, seated in his chariot. How do we feel on our way home from a vacation? A disappointing vacation. Our Ethiopian is in a luxurious chariot on a desert road. Inside was comfort and a very expensive scroll. The prophecies of Isaiah outside was death. Just a thin wall and a set of wheels keeping him alive. Held together by his ability to be useful. To be what others wanted and needed. How must that feel? To belong, but only because you're useful. And when he is no longer useful, no family to take care of him, no children, then he would be on the outside trudging alone in a political, financial, social desert. He is returning home. He is not rejoicing. Not yet. He's reading, reading the word of God, an expensive scroll, wondering maybe there is some reason for hope here. And as he reads aloud, you can imagine his eye caught by a ragged figure strolling alone outside. Out for a walk? Alone in the desert, singing a hymn? Scene three, verse 29. Then the spirit said to Philip, go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, do you understand what you are reading? He replied, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. So this cross-cultural conversation commences with a question from both. Philip, physically tired, spiritually awake, asks, do you understand what you are reading? And the chariot's occupant, maybe hearing the Jerusalem accent, leans out and asks, how can I, unless someone guides me? Now, who is the insider and the outsider here? Philip climbs in. They read again from Isaiah 53 together, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, about whom? May I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or someone else? The eunuch looks at Philip, thinking, could it be me? The lamb is useful when it produces wool, it is sheared, but all good things come to an end, led to the slaughter. And I can imagine Philip saying, It is not about you, but it is for you. Verse 35, then Philip began to speak and starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. The good news that is not about you, but it is for you. And I'd like us to just focus on one line from Isaiah. And I suspect this may have been very helpful for the Ethiopian and it can be very helpful for us that we might embrace this good news and go on our way rejoicing. And this is the line, verse 33, in his humiliation, justice was denied him. Him, who? Isaiah's words describing a future suffering servant were understood by many early Christians to be fulfilled in Christ. Both Luke and John's gospels apply Isaiah to Christ, as do Peter's first letter and Paul's letter to the Romans. And it's really not hard to see the events around Jesus's rigged trial, his mockery at the hands of the Roman soldiers, his naked exposure and death on the cross as clear examples of humiliation and denial of justice. But how is that good news for us? Let's take one step backwards and recognize this principle of one person representing others, a community, which we're familiar with. I mean, with sporting events, you know, there's that moment in which the one person does the thing, and it's either going to be success or failure, glory or disaster, and we're all on the edge of our seats. We know this feeling, it's going to affect our moods and maybe more. But not just sporting events, we're familiar with being represented on the political stage. Someone getting elected or not elected, it has an impact on the wider community. And breathe. If you're feeling tension, that's because you understand that principle of one representing others. We get this. But in sports and politics, if the representative does well, the community does well. Here, the representative is humiliated. How's that good news? So years ago, my aunt was traveling in Afghanistan and was bitten by a scorpion. And as the family story goes, one of her party kind of cut open where the bite was and sucked out the poison, transferring the problem from her to him. And there are innumerable examples in literature and culture of one individual stepping bravely forward to suffer on behalf of others so they don't have to. And this is exactly what the first Christians were reporting. Because as Jesus breathed his last on the cross, the temple curtain separating humanity from the holy of holies, this temple curtain was torn from top to bottom. God clearly saying in his humiliation, we now are welcomed in as honored members of God's family. The honored son of God, was humiliated so that humbled folks like us could be honored before him. As the great theologian John Calvin put it in the wondrous exchange, quote, the becoming son of man with us, he has made us sons of God with him. That by his descent to earth, he has prepared an ascent to heaven for us. That by taking on our mortality, He has conferred his immortality upon us, that accepting our weakness he has strengthened us by his power, that receiving our poverty unto himself he has transferred his wealth to us, that taking the weight of our iniquity upon himself he has clothed us with his righteousness. And if Philip explained to the Ethiopian that Jesus died, he was humiliated, justice was denied him, the temple curtain torn from bo- top to bottom, the Ethiopian could then said, could say, well, why then was I turned away? Because Philip could have answered, the same Jerusalem elite who plotted to kill Jesus still resist this good news, this humbling good news. They are holding fast to the old ways, which is why we are refugees from Jerusalem. But all who do believe and are baptized become part of this new community, this new living temple, and we experience God's Holy Spirit. And it is the Holy Spirit that has sent me to this chariot, to you today. Scene four, Philip baptizes the eunuch. In baptism we demonstrate our commitment to Christ, going into a watery grave, our sin and humiliation washed away and raised again to new life as honored members of God's family. Verse 36, as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop. And both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. What a scene. What were the driver and the entourage thinking? They had plenty of time to discuss it on the road ahead. And what joy and peace for the eunuch the day would come in which he was no longer useful at the royal court but he was connected to christ and to his people and he had hope for this life and the next and what had once disqualified him from the old temple in jerusalem did not disqualify him from the new living temple that jesus was building and i mean here's the thing belonging that belonging to that community that christian community is one of the the best parts I've found of being a Christian and my wife and I have no biological family within two flights but Ascension has been a family but as the Ethiopian heads home where's the Christian community for him there but here's the thing tradition identifies our friend in this chariot as the founder of the church in Ethiopia which is certainly plausible and which means the guy that couldn't start a family started a family Christian sons and daughters sisters and brothers aunts and uncles verse 39 scene 5 when they came up out of the water the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way Rejoicing. He went on his way rejoicing. He was going back to the same old world, but with new expectations. Because he was no longer defined by what made him proud or what made him ashamed. He belonged to Christ, an honored member of God's family. He experienced the sacrament of baptism, and we'll see. Um, a couple of friends baptized in the 11 o'clock in the tent outside. He had experienced that and we were invited to the sacrament as baptized believers invited to the sacrament of the Eucharist. And here's what I'd like us to do. As you walk forward, allow that which you are most ashamed of to come to the surface, to come to mind. And imagine writing it down on a piece of paper and giving it to Jesus. And imagine him scrumpling it up and eating it, absorbing it into himself, taking it into himself, this body that was broken for you. And as you receive the bread, remember that you now are now an honored member of God's family invited to his table into his presence and with your head held high walk back praying that the same spirit who filled and led Philip would fill you and lead you into cross-cultural conversations in which God is honored. Because what I love about this is that in one supreme moment of divine humiliation we are transformed to be honored to honor him to honor others and this wave of honor has just been rolling around the world and that is the church let's pray jesus thank you that you loved us so much that you are willing to be humiliated that we in our shame might become honored sons and daughters pray help us to receive you receive your holy spirit and receive that identity as honored members of your family and that this week in new ways we might honor you before others in jesus name amen